There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, brought to you by First Light. Today's show is all about moving water and how it can and should play into your whitetail hunts throughout the season. Last week on this podcast, we switched gears from nonstop scouting to talk about hunting strategies built around standing water. I mentioned many times how I love hunting deer on water patterns, and that's true. I'm not lying to you. But there is nothing I love more than when I've got a chunk of deer ground to work with that has a stream or a river flowing through it. That's dreamy stuff for so many reasons, and many of which you'll hear about on this show. Pull on your knee highs or your hip waders and get ready to hear a strong case for hunting flowing H2O. If it's not deer season in your state yet, it's coming. This is like the adult version of Christmas Eve, and it is freaking awesome. Now, last week, I covered mosquito factories or also known as standing water. There is nothing I love more than water when it comes to consistent whitetail hunting. And while I've got a soft spot in my heart for a nice pond that is situated deep in the best cover, I think moving water is where I really belong as a deer hunter. This is because a good stream or river offers up so many things to the whitetail and the whitetail hunter. It often combines several reasons for a whitetail to be an exact, very specific spot And that is the secret sauce to not only killing more deer, but hunting the most enjoyable locations possible. Now, it's easy to look at moving water like it's just another water source, and in some ways it is. But it's also likely to feature some of the best security cover around. That's two checks in the wind column, my friends. Moving water also almost always is framed in quality food as well. That's three solid reasons for whitetails to be there, and often be there in good numbers. For the whitetail hunter, moving water that isn't so big it requires a boat or water wings to get across, you've got 
all of those deer coming there for various reasons, but you've also got incredible access opportunities. And a lot of times, my favorite reason of all, concentrated travel. If this sounds too good to be true, it's not. Quit being such a pessimist. Well, actually, sometimes it is too good to be true. And I apologize for that unwarranted outburst right there. We will get to reality later after I win you over with my argument for why there is no better situation upon which to arrow a monster whitetail than moving water of the right size and shape. The absolute best rivers to hunt are those that are big enough to concentrate deer on certain crossings, but not so big that you can't walk them in knee-high boots or do most of your ninja work on the banks. Too small, like dealing with little tiny streams, is a different story. If a deer can hop across anywhere, they probably will. They might have a few crossings they favor due to the terrain, but most of the time, a really tiny trickle isn't all that great. I have seen if creeks are just big enough where deer will get in the water and use them as travel corridors, just like we use them to get into and out of our stand sites. That can be an asset and was something I ran into in Nebraska a few years ago while trying to arrow a velvet buck. The stream running right through a chunk of public land I was camped on was maybe ankle deep at its deepest point. At its widest, between the banks, we were talking maybe 20 feet. Since it was about a million degrees out during that September hunt, I figured that if I spent enough time on some of the crossings, I'd get a shot. What I didn't expect was that the deer would get in and randomly walk upstream and downstream, tucked in below six-foot-tall banks where I couldn't shoot them. There wasn't really any pattern to their movement as far as I could tell. They just got in after walking down off of this great big bluff, entered the water, and messed around. They were there for the water. Of course, they were going to go in there and drink. But they were also in there kind of staging before they headed to the neighbor's property to hit some groceries. There wasn't a whole lot of concentrated movement. It kind of just went everywhere. That stream was just a little bit too small. And even though on my Onyx it looked like it should set up right, and even when I looked at it in person, I thought it was pretty good, it just didn't work out that well for that hunting trip. Maybe if I'd have stayed longer, I'd have figured it out, but I ran out of time. Now, at the other end of the spectrum is a good-sized river. I hate this scenario the most out of all moving water hunting conditions. Now, I know deer swim across big rivers from time to time. I've seen it, but I don't think they make a habit out of it. It's kind of like nature's version of a busy interstate. It functions pretty well as a wall to those deer, even though once in a while they will get across it. This size of river kind of takes the crossing situation right out of the equation. And while they might dip down to drink, bigger rivers often have steep banks. I don't think deer much prefer the feeling of being trapped by water on one side and a 15-foot bank on the other. They don't seem too happy about that. Now, on the other hand, I have seen flats along big rivers that were full of deer, usually out west where quality whitetail habitat isn't overly abundant. Some of those spots can be amazing but you're really not hunting a water pattern there. You're hunting a concentration of deer near where the water helped produce some brushy, gnarly habitat that drew whitetails in. There are a few silver linings with this scenario, which is that if you can find it, it's usually highly observable. You can post up and glass the bottom to see who's filtering in and out of the willows and cottonwoods and see if the landscape offers you up any good pinch points or ambush spots there. The other thing is that while a tight valley with a river in it is usually challenging wind-wise, a truly big river with a sandy 25-acre flat along it tends to exist in a place where the ground has been ironed out, so to speak. 
playing the wind along a spot of a river like that can be pretty easy and very effective. Now, even with tiny streams or giant rivers that aren't ideal or often easy to hunt, you at least know that water equals whitetails. That's a good start. Gives you something to work with. Now, when it comes to the best moving water, this can be tricky. I like a river that is big enough where I have to be a little careful about wading it in the dark because even though I can swim just fine, I don't like to surprise myself with a few laps in the dark while clutching my bow and having a day pack strapped to my back. In my life of fishing and hunting, I've fallen in a few rivers and I've been swept away a few times. And it's like car accident level as far as narrowing down your focus to the here and now. Trust me. It might sound kind of funny, but once you've been through it, I promise you, you don't want to go through it again. Also understand that a river that is maybe, I don't know, 20 yards to 100 yards across will likely feature enough deep water and steep banks to concentrate crossings. In fact, with satellite imagery, you can damn near see them sometimes. If you know how rivers function with long straight stretches, bends and rapids, you can zoom in and often see white water, or at least a bit of roiled up surface where the river is shallow and rocky. That is often where the crossings will be, especially if there are deep stretches upstream or downstream, or for preferably both. If you're researching huge chunks of federal land or walk-in ranches, you'll be able to see crossings very easily because the cattle will use them. Trails, deeply gouged in the bank trails that often splay out on the flats are highly visible via satellite imagery and can provide one hell of a starting point if you're trying to figure out new deer ground. The key to hunting these types of crossings, however, is to suss out whether you're dealing with one major crossing or a stretch of river with multiple crossings. A major crossing, that's easy enough. Just set up downwind and wait. A stretch with multiple crossings requires a different strategy, and this is very, very common on smaller to mid-sized rivers. If you can glass this kind of river for a couple of nights, you can usually pin down which trails bucks are using and then go mobile to get on top of them. If you can glass it, I like to sneak in and sit the farthest downwind crossing. What I'm hoping is that something comes down and I can shoot it. But if not, I can see some of the other crossings upstream or downstream from my stand. If the deer don't cross at my spot, I might see them use one farther up or farther down. If the wind stays consistent, which it often does, it's an easy move to the next crossing as soon as I can hunt it. This is my absolute favorite hunting scenario because even on public land, you rarely blank. If you can see enough river, you'll see deer. I see this even in low-density areas. You also get actionable sightings and clues from the deer on a daily basis, which gives you the confidence that you're in the game every day. That between-the-years happiness is important when you're engaged in days of mobile hunting, particularly on pressured deer. I also love this scenario because it gives me a good chance to hunt mornings, no matter what time of the season it is. This isn't something you can find everywhere, and morning sits in September can be absolutely deadly if you can get in and actually hunt effectively. The access that rivers often provide allows for that. Rivers are corridors where you can get low out of the wind, cover up some of your noise just by blending into the sounds of rushing water, and you can stay out of sight if you're below the banks. With specific crossings, 
This means you can get in in the dark before first light and be where the deer will come to as they head back to bed. Oftentimes, they'll use the same crossings at night and in the morning, which simplifies the whole thing. But that's not always the case. I got on a buck one time in North Dakota that I saw crossing the river one evening, and then the next morning, I watched him half a mile upstream crossing back to my side. I sat one crossing, and my buddy sat the other. The first night of the season, that buck came down to the water, crossed, and posed up at 20 yards, which would have been ideal for someone not falling apart from buck fever on a 150-inch velvet buck. I missed that dude clean, but the wind was howling, and he didn't catch on to the situation. My second shot was much better and proved to be my biggest velvet buck ever, and one of the biggest deer I've ever shot. My buddy then arrowed a great deer on the downstream crossing, which meant we went two for two on public land on deer that went straight to the taxidermist, thanks in large part to just being able to glass and hunt river crossings. So I hope you're getting fired up to sit some river crossings this season, if you have the chance. But you should also think about deer travel, not only as they go from bank to bank, but how they travel the length of the river. It's a rare day when I go in to scout or hunt a new stream or river where I don't find trails that run parallel to the water as well. In the right setup where your wind can blow out over deep water that the deer aren't likely to enter, this provides another option for potential antlered visitors to show up. It's also a reliable scenario for rut hunting when bucks are cruising because they sure seem to like to follow waterways when their loins are burning and their mental faculties are dimmest. This is reason enough to get along a river, but can be unreal when the temperatures are unseasonably warm during November. Do you remember back in 2016 when much of the early November rut was just stupid hot? I do, because I was in a tent in Nebraska trying to arrow a public land buck. My usual strategies were proving unbelievably turd-like, so I figured I'd head down to the trout stream that bisects the property and play the water game. What I didn't expect was that I'd encounter a microclimate at the bottom of that valley that was just a bit cooler than everywhere else. I also didn't expect to set a stand up in a t-shirt and spot a cruising buck within a few minutes of settling in. That gnarly 6x4 was the most miserable looking buck I've ever seen. But he had to cruise because it was early November and he did it in 75 degree heat. His mouth was literally hanging open and his lips were covered in froth. But he was out there looking to pass on his genes. And I was lucky enough to put an end to his reproductive dreams. And it was again because of a river, but not necessarily due to a crossing. Now, I'm telling you about my wins in the whitetail woods when it comes to hunting moving water. But really, there are no perfect scenarios out there. The downside to playing this parallel travel is that due to the nature of valleys where rivers tend to exist so too does an often unpredictable wind pattern. Whether it's blowing up or down the valley, you'll often find the wind regardless of forecasted direction. We'll get into the valley with the river and take your scent upstream or down, swirl around. That means that anything coming from the wrong way on that parallel trail has a chance to get a snoot full of danger. Think about this when you're eyeballing your setups. I often find myself in stands right over the water in trees that are rooted in the banks. This puts me inside the parallel trail and hopefully within shooting distance of the best crossing. Sometimes it puts you in shooting distance of the parallel trail on the opposite bank as well, which is another check in the wind column. And with the right wind, 
I've beat the deer coming straight down to the water in these scenarios, but also traveling right along it on both sides. Of course, you might not have a perfect tree for this, so you have to make some concessions sometimes. Oftentimes, it's best to just sit on the ground and tuck into a deadfall or deep below a steep bank. And this might sound stupid, but I've hidden right below where the deer are likely to walk in spots where the bank has fallen away and created little hidey holes. You feel stupid in these spots, but the deer don't have much of a chance to smell you and they're not going to see you. Or if they do, it's too late for them because they're already down on the crossing. Another rough situation while hunting moving water happens when you're looking at satellite imagery and you're seeing everything you need to see to know you've got a good hunt coming up. The water is there, the potential crossings are there, and the trees are there for you to set up in. But when you walk in to hunt for the first time, you realize the trees are 47 times the size that would fit your stand or your saddle strap, and you've grossly underestimated your ability to read cottonwoods via satellite imagery. This happens on away-from-home trips, and it's just one of those situations you have to adapt to. For anything closer to home, or anything you've got the chance to scout in person, this shouldn't happen. You should already know where your best stand trees are and the best crossing, so you don't run into any surprises like this. On those away game hunts, it's also important to note that regulations surrounding water vary greatly from state to state. You might live in a state where legal access exists between the banks or the high water mark, or you might have to get into the water at a legal access point and not get out until you're on land you can hunt. You might realize that the state you're heading to has very strict water access rules and that the landowners own the surface water and anything beneath the surface, meaning if you wade in, you're in trouble. Some states treat navigable water as a resource that anyone can use, others don't. In some cases, you might need to use a kayak to get to your hunting grounds. This has become more and more popular lately and can be an excellent means of navigation. It's stealthy, fairly quick, and while somewhat of a pain in the ass in general, also one hell of an option if you have the right situation. If you don't have a kayak, you might just consider hip or chest waders as well if the knee highs won't cut it. I've done both, and here's a note of caution. I'm not sure which one I hate more. If I can't just use knee-high boots, it's almost not worth it for me to hunt, unless I just need to cross maybe one time. Maybe it's just me, but I can't put on a pair of waders without immediately filling them with water. I also can't pour myself a cup of coffee in the morning without spilling some of it, or point out when I think my wife is wrong, despite the fact that I've had 20 years to learn that there will be consequences for it. You're probably better at life than me, so maybe you can make waders work if you need to in order to get to a river crossing. I just know I personally don't like it. I don't like filling up my waders in the dark and having wet clothes all day long when I try to sit on my stand. So with all of that out of the way, I'll say this. I've hunted just about every whitetail situation out there, from Texas on up to nearly Canada and east and west. And while hunting styles and strategies differ by region and the time of year, one of the most consistent things I've noticed out there, no matter where I'm hunting, is the connection of whitetails to water specifically moving water. If you're planning a hunt or hunting near home and you've got some flowing water, figure out how to hunt it. It might be the best whitetail draw from the early season to the late season. That's it for this week, my friends. Be sure to tune in next week for more deer hunting strategies so that you can keep filling tags and making your hunting buddies jealous. I'm Tony Peterson, and this has been the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast. As always, Thank you so much for the support. We really appreciate it, and we will see you here next week.
Hey, everybody knows Weber grills. I've been using Weber grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood pellet grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more.